grains of sand Basking the blocks from strangers' hands Immune to gravity's demands Free flying in utopia Kaleidoscopic cornucopia When I'm Woo! That's some fire coming from Joe Denison and his band Stratospherius. That's their tune, Parallel Reality. It's mid-April 2020. I'm not the only one that feels like we're living in a parallel reality, right? Hey, welcome to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the coolest string players alive. I'm Matt Bell. I'm your host. Hey, we're all in lockdown right now, and we're all missing touring and being on stage. But lest we forget, the touring isn't all wine and roses. We thought we'd bring you an episode called Oh Shoot. Well, you knew where I was going with that. We'll keep it PG more or less. I will say that being how we're telling disaster stories, there are a couple of uh, predictable terms. Not a lot, but a couple. Just a warning. This is a compilation episode with stories from several of our previous guests on the podcast, all telling stories of disasters or near disasters on the road. We'll be playing some of each artist's music along with their story. And since we're already enjoying some Joe D, let's listen to his gig disaster story right here on Rockstar Violinist. All right, so... You want crazy stories, I got crazy stories. I have uh, so many, it was hard to choose, but I think this one always gets a good laugh. Um, so in New York, I think everywhere, but particularly in the New York tri-state area, they have these wedding factories where it'll be a giant catering hall, giant building with numerous weddings going on at the same time, numerous bands playing, and uh, you know the changeover in each room happens really fast, so they try to cram as many weddings a day as they can. So I was working with this new uh, group, DJ and some musicians, and um, I never met these guys. We'd only been, you know, in touch by email. And I showed up to this place by accident an hour early, um, and it was kind of, you know, empty at the time. There was one ba- one band setting up, so I went into that room, just started setting up quickly. It looked like they were about to start. I'm like, oh my god, I'm 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 running late. So I just started playing. I hadn't met these guys before. I know the songs like disco and standards. Um, about 20 minutes into the set, they look at me and go, Steve never hired a violinist. And I thought to myself, who's Steve? And then I had a moment of epiphany when I realized the gig was starting an hour later and I had done a, a set with the wrong band, basically. So that that's what happened. Um, anyway, have fun with that one and uh, look forward to hearing all the other stories. Rock on. Oh, man, only Joe D could pull off an entire set of music in a band he wasn't even supposed to be in. Hope they at least let him hit the buffet line. Hey, speaking of buffet lines, wait, that's a terrible segue. Forget that I said that. Our next artist is a legend in the business. Tracy Silverman has a story for you. Another tale of gig life in New York City. This one's going to give you nightmares. I already have anxiety about this happening to me, and his story isn't going to make it better. By the way, we're listening to his tune, Sidewalk Vigil, from the album I'd Rather Be Dreaming. One of the more embarrassing things that's ever happened to me on a gig, um, not sure it was really a stage, but uh, I had a gig, um, this was back in the 80s, 
uh, just freelancing uh, in Midtown Manhattan for some kind of party at the Sheraton Hotel in like Times Square. So it was a five o'clock downbeat, and uh, uh, I got to get there like at three thirty because you got to park and there's traffic and everything like that. So I'm there early. I'm sitting around. I'm drinking a cup of coffee. I'm waiting. Finally, at about a quarter to five. I pop open my fiddle case. I'm like, all right, let me tune my violin, get ready to play cocktail hour here. And I notice I don't have a bow in my case. But luckily, it's before five o'clock and I'm in Times Square, New York, like at 53rd and Broadway. I run my butt over to Manny's on 48th Street, which was still there at that time grab the first $30 glasser bow I can see, hightail it back to the Sheraton. There I am, 5 o'clock, ready to play. Of course, there was no rosin whatsoever on the bow, so nobody could hear anything I was doing, but I was there on the gig with a violin in one hand and a bow in the other. I told you to give you nightmares. Yeah, I'm going to check my case three times now before I leave the house instead of two. Uh, Am I the only one who's pulled over on the highway to check and make sure that I actually put all my stuff in the car when I'm on my way to a gig? Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, our next artist is Abby Stalschmidt. We're listening to her single L-O-V-E-Y-O-U right now. Uh, Spoiler alert, there's another Bo story. Uh, what is it with us and bows? Hey everyone, this is Abigail Stahlschmidt, and I'm an electric violinist. I was classically trained and started playing the violin at four years old. And I have actually two gig disasters that I remember the most that happened whenever I was around 10 years old. I started out playing in orchestra for many years. Um, and I don't know, maybe because these were at a younger time in my life, I remember these the most. But the first gig disaster that I remember is whenever we were performing a classical concert as an orchestra and the stage underneath us, for some reason, was a tile stage instead of a typical carpeted stage. Um, I think it was in a church setting. And we were performing a classical piece that was very intense and it got to a quiet section and of course everybody's very focused and listening intently and there's just this um, anticipation and I of course dropped my bow and it clattered and created this huge echo that just went throughout the entire auditorium and I was so embarrassed because the whole audience and the orchestra turned around and looked at me so there was no escaping it. Um, And I remember we would also have those concerts recorded at that time. So, of course, whenever I got that CD, my family had to pop it in the CD player the first chance they could get and skip to that song. And sure enough, you could hear my bow clattering to the ground. So (laughs) it was kind of the running joke in my family for a while after that. And the other gig disaster that I remember having was whenever I was actually the concert mistress of an orchestra. And for those of you who have been to a classical concert before, you know that whenever the concert starts, the very beginning of um, the evening, 
the orchestra comes out on stage and they're seated first uh, after the curtain opens and then the concert mistress will come out and the audience will clap and they'll sit down and then there's this anticipation that just keeps building as the conductor then walks out and they clap for him and then the concert begins. So anyway, after the orchestra is seated, I walk out on stage and the audience claps and I sit down in my chair and I look at my stand and guess what's missing? The first piece of music that we were supposed to play for the night. I am frantic and looking around thinking, am I gonna have to run backstage and go get my music? I'm asking my stand partner and my section if they have an extra piece of music for me to borrow. And finally, I think maybe I should look under my chair. So I flop under my chair and of course it's sitting there on the floor and it must have flown there uh, from the gust of wind that the curtain created when it opened. So as soon as I pick up that piece of music, the whole audience erupts in laughter. And I just am so embarrassed. Fortunately, the concert, of course, was able to start and there were no other mishaps, but that one definitely stuck with me. I love that the whole audience probably watched her music blow off the stand and then sat there waiting for her to panic. Jerks. <laughs> oh, man. So our next artist is a dear friend of mine and actually the last person I got to hang out with before we all got quarantined. Ross Holmes sent me this story back when we could still run the roads with impunity. So you'll hear a little noise from the road. Oh, man, I missed that. It's a long story, but totally worth it. So we're going to listen to several tunes from his Grammy-nominated album, Not Very Good at Winning. Tell him, Ross. Hey, Matt, this is Ross Holmes. Uh, I'm sending you my uh, oh shit story. Uh, this is a good one. This is an old, old story, but I still, oh man, you know those moments in life that happen where you totally just have that gut punch. You, you go, oh man, I cannot, oh gosh. Woo! Woo! So when I was 20 years old, I uh, drove. To, I heard about this audition for Josh Turner, the country singer, uh, here in Nashville, and I got in my got in my car. Uh, I found, well, I found out the audition was literally the next day, so I got in my car and I drove overnight to to Nashville. I bought uh, Josh's CD at Walmart or some Long Black Train was the album, and just learned it on the way up. I just listened to it. I mean, on repeat the entire drive. And so I kind of had it hammered in my head. I, I hadn't even played the fiddle parts. And I got to the audition and got the gig, which was super cool. And a couple months into touring with him, uh, we played this theater somewhere up in Wisconsin or Minnesota someplace. I don't really remember the venue, uh, what, 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 where the venue was or what it was called, but it was one of those theaters in the round where the stage is literally round and people sit all around you some of those theaters the stage actually turns this one didn't it was static but the the uh, the, the venue um had a huge wardrobe uh closet in the back with tons and tons of you know articles for various plays the sound of music and oklahoma you know the king and i all these super fancy costumes so <laughs> as was very protocol <laughs> in a josh turner gig 
he would introduce me as Harry Potter on, on the fiddle with my glasses and my, my bow, my magic wand, you know, the whole bit. And he thought he was just so cool and he was being so clever because he was calling me Harry Potter. Ha, 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 ha. So we, we're playing this theater and I realize, oh, shoot, this is so cool. There's a wardrobe. Uh, I'm sure they have a cape. So right before the gig, I found this awesome cape. Knowing that this was, a th- oh, man, this just punches my gut so hard. Knowing that this was a theater in the round, if I was to leave stage, I would do so in front of everybody. Like, here's a band member walking off the set during a, like during the show for no apparent reason, and, you know, I'd have to walk past the entire audience. But I thought, you know, Josh Turner is going to do this Harry Potter bit. It's totally worth it if I walk off stage and... Go, go put on this, this cape so I can look like I was, you know, in Gryffindor house. Definitely not Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw. Maybe Slytherin. So, we start the gig, <laughs> and my power goes out on my pedal board, and I'm panicking, going, oh, no, what do I do? So, our sound engineer motions me to come to him so I can explain what's happening. So, I have to leave the stage, and I already look like a tool bag because <laughs> we're in this theater in the round, and I have to leave. So we get the problem sorted back on stage. I don't know, maybe six or seven songs later, I muster up the courage to walk off stage again and don this cape. So, so I did it, and the bands look at me like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing tonight? You look like such a ridiculous fool. So <laughs> I walk off stage, I put on this cape, and I come back, and I can literally hear people murmuring going, what is he doing? What is happening? Because it certainly wasn't like Halloween time. This was, you know, probably maybe like January of 2005, February. No, no apparent holiday in sight of note. And so I walk on stage right before Josh introduces the band and he gets to me and I'm just, just grinning big going, he's totally going to drop the Harry Potter joke. <laughs> oh man, it's such a gut punch even now. He's totally going to drop the Harry Potter bit. You know, Ross Holmes, also known as Harry Potter. And instead he goes, uh, I don't know what kind of mental collapse our fiddle player has had tonight. Uh, Ross, why do you look like a judge? And it, it, there was, it made no sense. I mean, the, out of, there was totally out of context. And so I'm standing on stage in this robe, this cape, looking like a total dickhead. And I can't walk off stage a third time to take it off, so I had to play the rest of the gig in absolute fear that I was going to get fired. (laughs) And they had a rule at the time that the band members couldn't sign any uh, Josh Turner merch. Only Josh could sign the merch, including glossies of his face. So knowing full well that I was totally going to get sacked that night, I walked out of the gig with the robe on and proceeded to sign every bit of merchandise (laughs) that I could with the fans. And we got back on the bus and I was literally bracing for impact. And and Josh said, man, I totally knew what you were going for with that Harry Potter thing, but you left the door too wide open and and you totally made yourself look like an ass. But uh, uh, that was, it was, it was a brilliant moment of funny for me. So uh, you've got your gig. Anyway, that was a long-winded gut punch story, but it's still, oh man, it just sits, it sits in my lower gut region. Super hard to this day, 15 years later.
Oh, I love that story. I can feel this big ball of anxiety in my gut right now. Oh my goodness. Ugh. So Rob Flack says a story about the bane of every musician's existence traveling from one gig to the next. Seriously, when they invent teleportation, there simply won't be nearly as many good stories to tell. Travel delays have taken years off the end of my life. But fortunately, this story is narrated to some awesome music from Rob's album, Distractable Boy. What's up, rock stars? I have a gig disaster story to tell you about, and most of my gig disasters are some kind of failure with a looper pedal or some kind of technology going wrong. That's the most common thing that I've had go wrong while I'm performing. And at this point, it's sort of expected that something will go wrong if I'm live looping, so a good deal of my preparation and practice is just figuring out how to compensate when the technology doesn't work. Fortunately, I've been playing acoustic violin for years, and so if something doesn't work or the looper pedal ain't doing what it's supposed to do, I'll just play regular violin and hope for the best. But uh, my only big horror story that I can think of off the top of my head right now is... Uh, Back when I was in undergrad, I think it was 2008, maybe summer of 2009, something like that, I was a student at Denison University in Granville, Ohio, and uh, while I was there, I was gigging around town and around the greater Ohio area in a band called Caddy Wampus, who is still out there playing today. Band leader is a guy named Kevin Dredd, and uh, he's a bluegrass musician who also plays a lot of reggae, so we called a our genre of music, Bluegrass da Farai. It was a great deal of fun, and I learned a lot playing in that band. Um, shout out to Kevin and Stacy Wampus, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, I was going to uh, the Jamie Abersold Summer Jazz Workshop as part of my summer research grant that year. Uh, Dennison had uh, awarded me a research grant to go study jazz violin and write up a paper on jazz violin pedagogy. So as part of my studies that summer, I attended the Jamie Abersold Jazz Workshop. This was held in Louisville, Kentucky. And the band, Caddy Wampus, still had gigs, even though I was going away for the week. Uh, there was a big high-profile gig happening on the 4th of July in, in uh, I think it was the 4th of July, but it's ComFest, which is in Columbus, Ohio, a big festival that happens every summer. Caddy Wampus was on a big stage at ComFest, and so I had to figure out if there was a way for me to get back and miss a day of the workshop in order to go play the gig and then come back to Louisville. Well, I was too young to rent a car, and I was young and naive, and I thought surely the Greyhound will be a good solution for this. Folks, let me tell you this right now. I am not a fan of the dirty dog. Greyhound is not my friend. I'm much more comfortable on the Megabus. If you want to hear more about my Megabus antics, listen to my interview on the Rockstar Violinist podcast. But in general, the Greyhound has somehow always found a way of being dissatisfying. Uh, like the time I was going from Charleston, South Carolina to Atlanta, Georgia, and the bus was oversold and the cops had to be called on someone who refused to get off the bus. Or that time I was riding from Evanston, Illinois to Muskegon, Michigan, which is about a four-hour drive, and it took 12 hours and three buses. I don't really like the Greyhound. It's not my friend. It's not so great. Well, this incident in particular was the one that pushed me to the point of saying, I will never ride the Greyhound again if possible of course I'm still broken, but you know. Uh, I bought a ticket from Louisville to Columbus, 
for that day. It was supposed to get me in about two hours prior to the gig, and then I would come back the next day. This seemed foolproof. What could possibly go wrong? Well, turns out that sometimes Greyhound, a reservation, doesn't actually count as a reservation. So I got to the station, and the woman at the desk when I showed up said, Oh, I'm sorry, hun. Your bus is full. You'll have to get on the next one. To which I responded, But how could that be? I bought a ticket. Doesn't that reserve me a seat? No, but it's full coming in from the city before. Okay, but that that's not how tickets work. I guess it is at the Greyhound, and maybe this is a game people are used to playing where the bus is oversold and you just have to be in the line early and scramble your way to be one of the people on the bus. Doesn't seem very sophisticated and probably has problems and might be illegal, and I'm not really sure if I should have stuck around and pestered and tried to make sure that I get on the bus, but she insisted that the next bus would be the one I should take and that there were seats on it, and that was another two hours from the one I was taking. Well, if you remember 30 seconds ago, I said the bus was supposed to get me in two hours prior to our set. And uh, if I were going to come in on the bus two hours later, I would be arriving in Columbus mid-set. And that just wouldn't do. So I got a refund for my money and never went. Fortunately, there's a happy ending to the story in that when I got news from the band and I told them, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it, they, they sort of had to figure out how they would play short a man. Um, but as it turns out, the, it was pouring rain that day and their, their festival stage got rained out anyway. So luckily, not a huge disaster on my end. But it just goes to tell you, the big takeaway here is always leave yourself tons of extra time to get to the gig. If you're leaving yourself only a couple hours for interstate travel, that might not do it, especially if you're traveling Greyhound. I think the biggest takeaway here is try to avoid riding the Greyhound whenever possible. Are you serious? All that mess and then a show gets rained out? I think my head might have exploded. Our next story comes from Raz, one of the most unflappable people I know. But even Raz is not completely immune to onstage stressors. This is another nightmare scenario. I might never sleep again after listening to all these stories. <sighs> all right. Well, as she talks, we'll be listening to her version of All Along the Watchtower. So I think my biggest oh crap moment performing was at a local festival in my hometown called the Feast of Lanterns. And I was asked to play with my drummer. And we go to the venue, which is essentially just, it's like a block party, but on the beach. And we get there and it's this jetty, which is like a stone walkway out to the water. And it's gorgeous and it's a great setting, but at the same time, you have to truck all of your gear, the drum set, all the stuff, down to this really narrow strip of concrete. And in the midst of doing that, I realized that we had not thought to bring a drum rug, which was mistake number one. Issue number two was that uh, where I live in Pacific Grove, California, summertime is not exactly summertime as most people think about it. It gets so foggy and we are right on the water. And so if you guys have ever played violin in a high humidity area, there's issues with your bows, there's issues with your strings. So we start the show and the very first note I play in my violin, my A string breaks. Whatever, that's not the biggest deal. I'll get through the song and then maybe I'll take a, a split second and fix it, just change the string really quick. A couple seconds later, 
my G string breaks. <laughs> so now I've got a six string violin that's down to a four string violin, and the strings that are left are not the greatest strings. I've still got my F string, my C string, my D string, and my E string. So it's like every other string is missing. And then I realized that I'm not gonna have time to change out both strings. And I'm trying to look at my drummer to kind of let him know with my eyeballs that we have a problem and he might have to like do a drum solo or something, but he's not paying any attention to me because I'm watching it every single time he hits the kick drum, it starts slipping further and further and further towards the edge of the concrete and any further and it's gonna literally fall in the water. So he's not paying any attention. I've got two strings down. At some point, I'm just like, this is a disaster. We're in the middle of the fog. I don't know who can even see us. It felt like something out of a Stephen King novel. And I'm making up songs in very odd keys, going into very weird positions up and down my fingerboard because every other string I have to jump up into the third or fifth position just to maneuver and not have my soloing sound completely crazy. So I think we did maybe three songs in that vein uh, while I told a friend to like run up the hill to get my case because the stage was literally so narrow that there was no space to have anything. So all my strings are up in my case. But we got it sorted out. I, I think Kevin did end up taking a drum solo or I think I might have even done a improvised loop and just let that play and then change strings in the middle of songs. But of course, everything's out of tune. Everything is completely crazy. The drum set did not fall in the ocean, but uh, I think I, after that I put in, uh, please be aware that ocean shows are a bad idea for strings players. And uh, that is the story of, I think, my worst oopsie poopsie on a show. We've all broken one string on stage. But multiples in one song? Oh, man. All right, this is going to be a little weird. I'm actually going to set myself up here. I've played thousands of shows over the last 20 years or so, and I'm not sure what it says about me that I had a hard time deciding which gig disaster to tell, but here's one I thought you'd enjoy. We'll be listening to my single, Abaga. All right, so this goes all the way back to like the late 1990s. I was playing in a party band in Texas. We played this club called Sam Hill, uh, floated out on Lake Travis. There's like this long bridge to get out to the club and it's really cool, but you're out in the middle of a lake. You're not really near the shore. And the, it's, uh, the club is this huge raft, but there's a, a big building on it, but there's a fair amount of open deck space too. The club probably fits, I don't know, several hundred people. It's pretty big. The stage is up against a railing on the edge of the club, so right behind the band right behind us is water and it's probably 50 feet deep so it's dark of course this night and we've got this huge light set up so it's really bright on stage but we can't see much of what's happening off stage and we're party bands so we're pretty loud we can't really hear anything that's happening off of stage so because we're not super new at this we always have some tarps handy just in case some weather pops up we finish a song and you get like this moment of the crowd cheering but then it dies down and we can hear that something isn't right. And our drummer has the presence of mind to grab one of the tarps that's behind his kit and starts throwing it over the kit. Well, he's like five feet tall and weighs like a hundred and nothing. So he's throwing this tarp over his kit and all of a sudden he's not on the ground anymore. The tarp has lifted him off the ground like a parachute. It, 
It's literally raining sideways. His, his eyes are like the size of symbols and his, his symbols are getting knocked off of the stage and they're landing in the water. They're gone, right? So it goes from being a regular night to like a hurricane conditions in 15 seconds. Everything is completely soaked. The crowd panics. They run inside the building. We all start grabbing everything we can. We run inside and just throw it in the building and run back out to grab more. And of course, there's like 500 people jammed into this building. So we're just throwing stuff at these people. There's one girl who's all dressed up, hair, makeup done. You know, it's a party. She runs out in like this hurricane with us and starts unplugging everything she can find. It turns out a water spout, a tornado, had hit the lake right behind the club. I mean, it was 100 yards from us. Everything is completely soaked. The PA was rented, thankfully, but it's destroyed. The lighting rigs have all crashed and broken. Luckily, all my gear, I got unplugged and sort of thrown inside before anything really got fried, but it was like this insane situation. This girl tells us later her dad had been in a band her whole life, and she couldn't just stand there and watch us try to save our gear without helping. So like her hair, makeup, her dress, everything's completely ruined. But she finished the night drinking on the band tab, so uh, at least there's that. Yep, an honest-to-God tornado. Well, next, Lars Thorson tells us a story to remind you that no matter how prepared you think you are, the gig gods can still always get you. I seriously may never sleep again. This is so stressful. And we'll be listening to his cover of Loretta by Towns Van Zant. Hey, Matt. Thanks for thinking of me. I think this is a great topic to be talking about. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to get to add my little piece to it. Uh, my name is Lars Thorson. Uh, I'm a fiddle player and uh, really excited to be back here on the Rockstar Violinist podcast. Uh, I've been playing fiddle for a long time, uh, I've played in a lot of different bands, different artists, and uh, I find that it's always, that first gig, I mean, it, it goes without saying, but that first gig is always going to be hard, and there's always going to be something that goes wrong anytime you're playing with a new group of people, or a new artist, or, you know, whatever it is, and uh, that's that's what this story is about. I, uh, I had gotten a gig... Uh, that I really wanted with an artist I really liked, um, with a great band, and uh, I was really excited to be on the gig. And so, you know, I, I got a, a little time to learn the material, and uh, we had our first gig coming up uh, that I was going to play with them. And so we fly all the way out to Gretna, Nebraska. Um, and this is, you know, Nebraska in, I believe it was December 1st, if I'm right. Um, and we were doing this show that was, it was put on by like the local kind of it was like an outlet mall thing but they had this big open area and they put this big tent out and you know I, I mean when I say tent we're talking big it was probably you know maybe I think 5,000 people or so um, but all outdoors all Nebraska in December um, and uh, it ended up snowing and raining I think we call it a wintry mix and so it was this very interesting gig, and it was a first gig, and they had heaters in the tent, but, you know, they only do so much, and I, I remember this tent ended up splitting, and I had this whole line of rain and snow just dropping right down the line of where I was playing, you know, where my spot was on the stage. There was just this line of rain that was just drip-dropping from the top of the tent, 
down my way, and it, it, it was it, it was wild. It was, you know, every first gig is interesting and memorable, and this was definitely one of them, but my part of it that really sticks with me, so we got there, and I'm, I'm notorious for carrying a backpack with everything in it. I, I've been on a lot of gigs that, you know, somebody didn't have the right thing, or I didn't have the right thing, or, you know, a battery, or an adapter, or whatever it is to get your rig to work. And so I'm, I'm pretty crazy about it now. So I carry a bag with me basically at all times and it's got spares of everything. I've got, you know, all the batteries I could need. I, you know, I carry in-ears for the gigs and I have, you know, spare universal in-ears just in case something goes wrong. And, you know, really anything. I carry, you know, eight to quarter inch adapters and, you know, power, spare power supplies just in case, you know, all those crazy things. Um, just because you never want to get to a gig and be somewhere like Rutten in Nebraska where there probably isn't a guitar center pretty close um, and be out in the cold, so to speak. Uh, that was a pun. And uh, so, yeah, I remember getting there and, you know, nerves are setting in, but I'd had a good time, a good amount of time to learn this material. And I knew the set. I liked the guys. I liked the artist. I was ready to go. And, uh, but the way this thing was set up, the staging area was about a quarter mile away from the stage, tent stage. And, uh, so, you know, we spent the day in this little staging area hanging out, you know, that's where they did all the, the catering and we had TVs and we were watching football and it, it was great. And, uh, then we get, you know, probably 40 minutes out from downbeat you know, the guys are still hanging out, but this is my first one and I want to get everything right. So I've marked up a set list and I'm going to walk it to stage and, you know, say hey to the tech one more time, make sure that everything's on the up and that I'm not missing anything. And uh, so I walked to stage. And so, like I said, it's about a quarter mile. It's it's cold. It's wet. Um, and I get to stage and I'm setting everything up and making sure all my, you know, my station's set and that I've got everything accounted for. And, uh, you know, we get about 10 minutes on. You know, you're hearing kind of the pre-show playlist play. And... Uh, you know, somebody, the, the monitor guy goes, hey, I've got your pack over here. Why don't you, you know, get your ears on? I go, cool. And I realized that I do not have my ears. My backpack of everything, which, it, you know, it's great to have redundancies, but you don't have it with you. That can be a problem. My backpack of everything is a quarter mile away through the snow. And, uh, and I panic. And, uh, you know, as anybody would panic. And I look at the tour manager who's now there with the band. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't have my ears there in the green room. And he goes cool, you got 10 minutes, let's see how quick you can get back, and, you know, most of you are not going to know me personally, I'm a big guy, I'm not in great shape, I certainly wasn't at this point in my life, and uh, that's a a distance to cover in a short amount of time, and so I go run it, I I had not been running in quite some time at this point, and I'm hauling off, and I run, you know, this quarter of a mile, um, to this staging area, and I get there, and of course, everybody's gone, because it's about time to go to work, you know, play the show, and, uh, so the thing's locked, and nobody's there, uh, I start frantically calling people, and, uh, luckily, I end up getting in touch with our, our merch guy, who, uh, was great, and he was at the stage, but, um, you know, I got in touch with him, and he had a key, because he had to go in and out, so he, he had a bad ankle and proceeds to hustle out. Now we're, you know, probably five minutes from downbeat. And he hustles and, you know, runs and God bless him. And he gets there, unlocks it. I run in, I grab my ears and I just go screaming out and I'm running. I've got my, you know, my 
credential pass, and I'm screaming at, you know, security, running through checkpoints, flashing my thing, just screaming, I, I gotta go, I gotta go, and I'm running the stage, and I'm running out of time, and that's, you know, downbeat, let's say downbeat's at 7, it's 7.01, and I see it on my watch, and I'm hauling, and I get there, I, I get to stage, it's like 7.03, and I run up, and team goes, you got what you need, and I go, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm bent over, I'm holding my knees, I'm panting, I'm dying, and uh, he's like, I was like, yeah, man, just, just give me a second. And I just hear him lean into his radio and he goes, all right, go for show. Play the intro. I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, hey, man, we held downbeat for you. It's time to go. Uh, I'm like, how long do I have? He's like 35 seconds. And I'm dripping sweat. And, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm out of breath. And, you know, I'm hurriedly getting my ears through my shirt and putting my pack on and grabbing, you know, my fiddle for the first song. And, uh, yeah, that was nerve-wracking. And the beauty of it is that I had this, you know, everything went wrong before the show. And I got to step out, and my nerves were shot. I was exhausted. And at that point, there was nothing but, you know, I had already done as bad as I possibly could have. And so I went, and, you know, I remember kind of ramping up each song. And, you know, I'm, I'm panting. I'm already sweating. I'm already exhausted. And everybody's like, you know, the band's starting to get into it, and they're just kind of dragging me along with them. And I start catching my feet and getting my rhythm. And I remember, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth, nah, not even, it would have been later in, but uh, probably tenth song. And, uh, you know, I remember the band leader coming in over the, the talk back, and he goes, All right, man, it looks like Lars has caught his breath. Let's see what the new guy can do. And they send me out for this big, drawn out solo, and it was great. And I had this great time. Ha ha! The room was locked, because of course it was. This next story from metal sensation Ben Karras is another heart stopper. This is another one of every musician's worst nightmares. And to accompany, we'll listen to Celestial Supremacy from Ben's band, Windfarer. All right, Matt, here's a story for you. So this was in Southern California, I don't think it was San Diego, but um, it was in California. Uh, Thank You Scientist Tour. This is probably uh, two years ago. We were opening for Protest the Hero and Closure in Moscow. So we got to the venue and did our sound check. Everything seemed fine. And uh, we had a a 7.30 downbeat. Uh, Thank You Scientist was opening, so I went and grabbed some dinner. Um, So... uh, Seven o'clock rolls around and I'm just sitting there at this uh, Mexican spot eating some tacos and uh, you know, take my time. The venue was literally right down the street, so I was close. And um, all of a sudden I get a text from Sal, our singer, and uh, yeah, I just calmly pick up and say, hey Sal, what's up? And he's like, uh, where the fuck are you? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we're on stage. We're starting in like 60 seconds. And I was like, wait, what? I- I thought we got a half hour. He's like, no, the set's at seven o'clock. And I said, oh shit. And I just grabbed my food and I just sprinted as fast as I could down the street, went into the back door of the stage. I, I, on the phone, I asked Sal to, uh, to grab my violin from the green room for me. And um, I went in the back, so I went in the back door of the stage and I walk on and I ask him, hey, you have my violin? And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I asked you to get it. And he's like, well, I didn't get it. And I said, I cursed and I had to run through the audience because the green room, you had to go through the audience, then upstairs. So 
as I'm running through the audience, everybody's just booing me. And then the band starts the set as I'm running upstairs to get my instrument. And then I run back down through the audience, get on stage and just jump in. That was probably the most embarrassing gig story I've ever experienced. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Seriously, booing? That's awesome. I guess that means they were disappointed you weren't starting right away. So that's good or something. Okay. Our next story comes from EDM star Sarah Sharness, a.k.a. Sarah Pink Violin. We'll listen to her latest single, Cryorhythmic, which you simply must see the video for when this podcast is over, of course. Hey, Matt. So my craziest, oh my God, I effed up moment was when I was at a gig um, about to perform and every time i would turn on my wireless or begin to play it would make like the most horrific crunching sound you've ever heard like probably the worst distortion you've ever heard in life and it was during a party and i was i i didn't know what to do i like had to play through it almost because it was such an awkward moment but it like you could see the audience literally cringing at what I was doing. It was so awful. Um, since then, I have moved on to other such wireless systems. I will not say which one this was, but it was a horrific, horrific moment. That is such a helpless and infuriating position to be in. Everything is screwed up and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Along those lines, here's a story from Kev Marcus with Black Violin. I must say that I have had nearly exactly the same disaster as Kev, so I feel his pain here. Let's listen to the song Show Off from their latest album, Take the Stairs. I personally think that this song selection is hysterical, and you'll know why in a minute. What's up, rock stars? This is Kev Marcus, Black Violin, with my oh shit moment. Uh, <laughs> we were playing the Steel Stacks, which is this outdoor ven venue in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, there were 6,000 people in attendance at this thing. It was a free concert, but we were kind of getting some steam. And we, we, we came in last year and killed it, so a lot of people came out. And we got kind of like the twilight set. So it's like, you know, it's like right when, the, you know, the sun's going to set during our set. So it's uh, me and Will, of course, uh, Black Violin. And then we got a backup drummer, backup DJ. So we don't have the full setup as usual. They're both all beasts. Everybody's beast. But we didn't have the full set. And, um, and we're playing our set like normal. And uh, we just jump out there, you know, three sets, in, three songs in, four songs in. Uh, there are a couple of cute girls in the front, and they come up to try to take a selfie with us. I, you know, being a performer and somebody that wants to, you know, make sure that the, the shot looks good, I lean in and I kind of kneel in with one leg to, to, to get the, in the, the selfie with them. And then as soon as I do that, my cargo pants rips from the rooter to the two. They're like straight from my knees and rip from my knees all the way to my crotch. And they have a picture of it, of me looking down while it's ripping in front of 6,000 people. So like I said, we got a backup drummer and a backup DJ. So the, the band is it just a normal band. So we can't just riff like, and I have a humongous rip in my pants. <laughs> so I'm in the back. 
you know, trying to figure out this wardrobe thing. I don't have a, a, a spare, you know, pair of pants or anything. And I got a guy duck, uh, he's gaff taping my pants <laughs> together or trying to just gaff tape a whole thing around my leg while I'm still playing the parts because the show can't stop. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and I'm just like, while he's doing, I'm playing the, I'm playing the parts. I'm looking down like, no, it's too tight. Take it off. <laughs> so it was crazy. And then going back out there with this, gaff tape concoction around my pants because the rip was so crazy and um but you know long story short it made for a really cool story and um i'll never wear uh cargo pants on stage ever again and that's my story oh shit get it the song is called show off okay maybe that's just funny to me all right we have time for two more stories here This one is from the Dark Lord, Chuck Bontrager. It's a story about his very first booking of his Tool Tribute Band. First gig, right? What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Let's listen to Sober Trip by Vicarious, the band in question. Hey, everybody out there. This is Chuck Bontrager, normally of Chicago, currently quarantined in Harrisburg, Virginia. Thanks to everybody for listening, and especially thanks to Matt and everyone at the Electric Violin Shop for all that you do. So great for our community. So, Matt put out a call for our best oh-shit gig stories. This is the tale of my first public Viper gig. I used to run a tool tribute uh, back in the day a little bit, and this is the story of our very first show. Uh, Got the hall kind of for free in exchange for um, playing in the uh, in the house band for the Saturday night variety show at this particular venue. The exchange was that I would get to have the hall for free a couple, three nights a year to do what I wanted. So I booked my band's first show. Uh, as I always try to do, especially uh, for a first show, I rolled up very, very early. I think I was there four hours before we were supposed to start playing. And I was surprised because I couldn't find a parking spot either outside or in the alley because there were people everywhere. And I thought, wow, could it possibly be? Are these people coming to see my band and the other bands that were on the bill for the show that I'd set up? Could I, could this really have happened my first time out? No. Finally find a parking spot wedged in between dumpsters in the back of the hall get out and ask a couple of the kids milling around what they're there for and they say man it's this battle of the bands a 19 band battle of the bands yeah booked on the same day as my tool tribute show got together with the uh with the hall's owner and the sound guy and the producer of the band show and we massaged the heck out of the band out of the sound crew almost literally, because those were the folks who were going to get hit hardest by this. Um, We were all nice to each other, and we all worked it out. So instead of playing last at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, my band played first of the three bands that were supposed to be on my bill. We played first at 11, yeah, on a Sunday night. The show was great for all 17 folks in the audience who stuck around for the whole thing. The battle of the bands was great. I guess I was outside having a heart attack in the alley. But the sound guy said that at the end of the night, um, our band was worth mixing and he really enjoyed it. So, you know, take the lessons, show up early, be nice to everybody, roll with it, and it'll probably work out. Thanks again for listening. 
Thanks to Matt and the folks at EVS. Honestly, booking your band's first show on top of a 19-band Battle of the Bands takes a considerable amount of talent or incredibly bad luck. But like a true pro, he rescued it. And now to our last story of this episode. It's another tale of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Martha Mook tells a story of a performance crashing and burning in front of, well, wow, you'll see. And while she tells this harrowing story, we will listen to her tune, No Ordinary Window. Hey, it's Martha Mook, electric acoustic violist. And um, I'm here to tell you about one of my most memorable gig disasters. Um, There are no funny gig disasters, but they are definitely memorable. And this one happened on a very um, momentous evening back on January 31st, 2001, on the debut of a brand new series that I had created and co-produced for ASCAP that was called Through the Walls. And the whole point was to feature ASCAP composers slash performers that were creating music that defied categorization. So it was a lot of, at that point, it was, um, that was kind of new on the scene back in 20 some odd years, almost 20 years ago. So I had been doing some session work. I had met uh, Tony Visconti, who was David Bowie's legendary producer. And I asked Tony if he would come in and and introduce the series because he's really gone through all the different boundaries and done some amazing work and and really enjoyed working with him. And um, so he agreed and it was held at the um, cutting room, which at that point was on West 26th Street in Manhattan. And so people were very confused. Why is a classical music concert happening in a, a bar club? And likewise, from the other end, why, you know, why are they coming here? So, um, so that day, I was talking with Tony as we were going over things, and he said, well, you know, I told my friend David um, about this event tonight, because I think it's, you know, it's very unique. And he said he might come. And I'm like, right, sure, okay. So... We show up to the cutting room and I'm there doing sound check and getting everybody organized and um, everything and Tony arrives and um, the place is packed. Um, We had a lot of people from both sides of the aisle, from classical, rock, uh, business, industry. I think somebody from the B-52s was there and the lights went down and I was sitting at the table near the stage with Tony and in walked David Bowie and they seated him at my table directly across from me. And then Tony got up and did his introduction, uh, which was a really lovely introduction with some comments from David thrown in. Um, And so the first act went on and all was well. Um, Then it was my turn, I was playing the second set and um, everything went well for, uh, I played some solo pieces and then I invited my uh, guitar duo colleague, um, we have that duo called Boeing, Randy Hudson. Um, We have uh, 
collaborated on, on many occasions and uh, we're, I think we were working or had just released or we're going to release our Cafe Mars CD duo for electric viola, electric guitar. So Randy comes up and we start playing and we both are doing loops and, and all kinds of effects and stuff and we start playing Cafe Mars and midway through Cafe Mars Randy kicks a, a button or something. Anyway, whatever happened, his rig totally went out. So there was no guitar. And the two of us are looking at each other and thinking, oh shit, <laughs> this is the middle of our set and we have a packed house and David Bowie is sitting in the audience and our set is ruined. So I looked at Randy and I said, you figure it out. And I said, you know what, I have a looper, I can do this. And so I started to play the rest of the piece, looped, and um, finished, the, finished the piece <laughs> to very polite applause and uh, a comment from the audience uh, in a British accent to the effect of, oh, he must have done something very wrong in a former life. So, um, Somebody else in the audience said, try it again, and try it again. So Randy tried it again, he repatched everything, and yes, his rig was working. So we succeeded in, in uh, starting where we had left off. We finished up the piece. Um, P.S., I now do a solo version of Cafe Mars, because I can, um, thanks to octave pedals and loops and sounds. Um, and the next day I got a call from Tony Visconti, uh, asking or telling me that uh, he got a call from David Bowie asking if I would put a string quartet together to play with him at Carnegie Hall next month for the Tibet House Benefit concert. So, all's well that ends well. Are you serious? The guitar rig simply dies right in front of David frickin' Bowie? Brilliant. My favorite part of this story is that Martha watched the tape of the performance this week in order to make sure she had the details right to tell the story. Yeah, the tape. She had to swing by a museum or something and borrow a VCR. You see, kids, long, long ago, before there was a thing called Netflix, we had tape. You know what? Never mind. You wouldn't believe me anyway. All right, so that's the oh shoot episode of Rockstar Violinist. I hope that's brought a little bit of sunshine to what is an increasingly difficult time for those of us who make our living by standing in rooms full of people breathing on each other. Next time, we'll go back to our regular format of hanging out with an artist and getting the skinny on life and music and art from them. And boy, do we have some cool ones coming up. So stay home, practice, write, record, do whatever it is that makes you happy. And we will see you next time with another rock star violinist. <laughs>